Welcome to Talking Business. In this series of podcasts, I hope to give you some ideas based on over 40 years working for various organizations in industry. In series one of Talking Business, we're going to look at your big project, avoiding the mistakes of others. This is the project that is going to change the face of your organization. Part three, process mapping. Many of you will probably be bored by now about the fact that I keep talking about process maps. I mentioned process maps as part of your best practice program. But I believe that understanding your processes is key to improve the way your business operates. Because reviewing your process will identify all those suboptimal practices that your business has. By creating a set of process maps that follow your best practice and therefore are the optimal processes, you can compare your ideal with the processes that you have today. Process maps are essential if you want to develop systems, particularly systems to support your best practice program. Now, in my experience, those projects that have had detailed, robust, fully mapped processes have been the most successful projects. By that I mean those projects where people have understood the process because they have mapped it, they have looked at it, they have reviewed it, they have revised it where necessary and then built the system based on those processes, those have been the more successful projects. The failure projects have been where people decided that there was no need to map their processes. Either because they're unnecessary, we all know our processes. Well, you might know your process, but does the person who's building your system know your process? Or in some cases, because we're already perfect. I can assure you, no one is perfect. And probably the worst excuse I've heard is, the team will be bored if you make them do that. Well, hard luck. They will learn a lot. So let's look at a simple business process. From taking an order to getting the money. I've drawn it out on this slide. And as you can see, you take the order, you pick the order, you supply the order, you price the supply, you create an invoice and the customer pays you. It looks simple, but is it really as simple as that? I think you'll find that there are often multiple options and activities at each stage along that very high level process. And everything needs to be defined in detail to develop a business process that works. Okay, let's look at order taking. Well, I've expanded only in a small way on that original process. But the first question I have to ask is, how was that order placed? How did the customer communicate their need with you that they need your product? And having received the order, 
how do you confirm back to them that this is what you're supplying with? So the complexities start with how you let people order from you. Through the internet, you need to ensure that you have the right internet interfaces to take the orders, and you will probably have an automated confirmation process. If you let people order by email, then in all probability somebody will have to read the email and put the order into another system. And possibly you have a manual response confirmation process of another email going back to the customer to tell them what you have placed the order for. There are some businesses that may still use fax. And here you may have a manual fax back to the customer again to tell them what order has been placed. If they ring you up on the telephone, you can read the order straight back to the customer. If they come into your service centre or your service counter, you can give them a verbal confirmation. You could possibly even turn the screen round to the customer and show them the order in the system. If you rely on your salespeople to pick up orders, then maybe it's letter, maybe it's verbal, maybe it's email. It all depends on what works best in your organisation. Some customers may still order by snail mail. Do you write back to them or do you ring them up? And then, of course, maybe somebody still has a carrier pigeon. Okay, so I've taken my order, I've confirmed it back to the customer, so now I can pick my order. But is it actually as simple as that? Is it at the local delivery depot for that customer? Is it in the central warehouse or at a distant delivery depot? Do I have to make it to order? If so, what are my lead times? Is it stocked at a collect centre when a customer comes in and stands at the counter? Is it stocked at one of my agents? All of these will affect the customer's perception of the service that your organisation is offering. I now want to supply the order I picked it. I've put it on my delivery vehicle or I've located it in my collect centre. Now, how does the customer receive that order? Do you have a fleet of delivery vehicles so you can deliver on your own vehicle? Do you use a delivery courier company? Does your customer come in and collect? Does some of the product go through the post? There are many ways that you can get your product to the customer. Which methods does your organisation use? Because you need a complete process for each method. And once it's been delivered, you have to confirm to your system that the supply has been made. Can this be done in different ways? Is there automatic confirmation to the system? Is there manual confirmation to the system? This stage is also called post-goods issue. Now, before I can send my customer an invoice, I need to know what I've supplied them with and I have to charge them the appropriate price. So my pricing is a complex area potentially. I have to agree prices where necessary with many of my customers. I have to manage my pricing. 
I have to apply my pricing accurately to transactions. I have to consider when I price those transactions, am I running any incentives on the products that I've supplied my customer with? Or are there any penalties because of the way they ordered or the fact that they required an emergency delivery or many other things that you can charge a penalty for? I have to bring into my thoughts marketing campaigns that I might be running. So pricing is an area that I know a little bit about. Do you have a pricing agreement with this customer? If no, they pay list price but maybe you have scale prices that encourage them to buy more in a single order. Or maybe you have geographic pricing because you're in a very large country, such as Canada or Australia, where the costs of supply are very different based on the distance that the customer is from you. Or if you do have a pricing agreement with your customer, do you have a contract that states prices? Do you have a contract that states a percentage or fixed value discount? Have you specified your price increase mechanism? Or do they just have a verbal agreement? Setting up each of these methods of holding customer specific pricing is a very complex process. And the process map illustrates just a very, very small part of some of the questions that I asked you on the previous slide. It's starting to look complex. And please accept my assurance that it will get far more complex when you go into the detail of how your organisation operates today and what is best practice for your organisation's operation. Okay. We now need to select the correct price for the customer. Do you have a pricing agreement with the customer? If no, they'll pay a list price. If yes, your system has to select the correct pricing for the product supplied. And with some very large customers who buy lots of products from you, you may have multiple agreements covering different product ranges. You may also, with some large customers, have different prices for different supply locations, depending on the amount that they have contracted to buy at each one. These all need to be considerations in the way that your system operates. You need to take into account any scale prices, where, for example, you give a lower price per unit if the customer buys more of the product in a single order. Or you might waive the delivery charge if the customer buys more than a certain amount in value. Are there any geographic prices? Are there any specific surcharges that you may wish to apply to the order? Maybe for an express or emergency delivery. Maybe a small order charge. Maybe a charge for a supply that has to be made outside normal working hours. So I've now priced my invoice. I now send my invoice to the customer. How do I send it? There are many ways I can transmit my invoice to my customer. Do I put it in the post? Do I email it? Do I fax it? Is the customer a self-billing customer? All of these and the other options that I'm sure you can think of have different costs associated with them. 
Does your organisation apply surcharges, for example, to people who require their invoice through the post? Because that's a particularly expensive method of invoicing your customers. If you do, then you need to have a process that describes exactly how that is applied. So I've invoiced my customer and the customer hasn't disputed my invoice which means that they agree that it is fair. But there are many different ways in which you can be paid. And again, the costs associated with each of those payment methods are very different. Frequently, cash and checks tend to be the most expensive payment types because you've got bank and in-house costs to consider. And with cash, you've also got the risk of theft. Credit cards are seen as being an expensive way, but some are much cheaper than others. And often credit cards are one of the most accepted ways for your customer to pay you and therefore might be your preferred method of payment. There are debit cards. The charges associated with debit cards are different from credit cards. They might be a preferred method of payment. And of course, there's direct debit which is often the cheapest way for the customer to pay you for processing. And yes, I have seen payment in kind. I remember one customer who was on the verge of going out of business where, to make sure that we got paid for the product, we took three tonnes of frozen battered onion rings, as that was the only movable asset that the customer had. However, this was particularly expensive to process and we had to keep them frozen. It doesn't stop at getting paid because sometimes you don't get paid and there are many reasons why you might not get paid. The customer finds a fault with your invoice. Either you've invoiced for more than the customer believes that they had, so you should have got somebody at the customer to sign that they had received the amount of product that you've said on your invoice, or maybe you've got the wrong price. Some customers in some parts of the world may be cheating, lying people of unspecified parentage, people who never expected to pay their invoice. Some customers may pay part and say they'll pay the rest later. If you have a situation like that, never return the money that they did pay. At least you've got something. And then chase them for the rest. The customer deducts an early settlement discount, even though you don't offer one. So somebody needs to go and talk to the customer. Explain to them that there is no early settlement discount. But in some countries, in some business sectors, early settlement discounts are taken as a standard. And if that is the case, then you need to factor into your pricing a method of recovering the money you're going to lose from the early settlement discount. Your customer pays late. That can be a worry because if they're paying late, will they be in business in the future? Or it may be that your customer always pays late. In that case, they might not be quite as risky, but you are not getting the money for the use of your product at the time you anticipated you should have it. Have you reflected that in the pricing that you charge to the customer? You need a clearly defined process for each reason 
that a customer might not pay you. You need in that process to describe in detail the action you're going to take. And where appropriate, you need penalty charges to encourage customers to conform to your terms. So we started with a very simple business process that became more and more complex as we looked at it in this very short talk. We've looked at some of the alternatives. Remember, the devil is in the detail. You cannot afford to be broad brush with this. It must be exact and full of detail. That is essential. After all, this describes the way your organisation will be working and defines your system for the future. This is an essential step before anyone starts to develop any system. And I can assure you that your IT people will appreciate having detailed processes so that they can make sure that the steps that they build into the system are in the appropriate order for the way that you do business. Those of you who ignore the need for process maps are either complacent, but remember the saying that pride comes before a fall, or they're jufties. They just don't get the idea. And if they don't have the process maps, their chance of explaining why something has to be done becomes even less. Because the process maps flesh out the complexity of delivering the required solution and provide the framework to build on. Talking Business is produced by the Mr T Podcast Studio in association with SFRD Services Limited. Thank you for listening. The next episode will be in two weeks' time.